Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Career Services Assistant Director Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And today's guest on our podcast is... Shelly Riley. Uh, I teach chemistry in the Department of Natural Sciences. Welcome, Welcome. Shelly. Yeah, Thank we're you. super excited to have you on today. Travis, I'm going to let you go first this time. All right. Chemistry, we've had a couple of, of, at least one chemistry professor on the podcast before. Can you tell us kind of how you got to Northwest, how you how you became a professor of chemistry here at Northwest? Well, can, can I back up a little bit Absolutely, before yeah. that? Absolutely, okay. yes. So, so not only am I a teacher here at Northwest, I actually am... An alumni. So actually, I, I uh, started here at, at Northwest uh, right out of out of college, and wasn't actually a chemistry major. Two things I had said when I was in high school: number one, um, I didn't think I'd ever go to Northwest, and number two, I'd never be uh, a teacher. And number three, if you would have told me I would have been teaching at Northwest and teaching chemistry, I would have said you were crazy. So yeah, so it's kind of interesting that I ended up here. But uh, yeah, so I, I did my undergraduate here and then uh, did my graduate school in pharmaceutical chemistry at KU. Actually kind of took a roundabout route. I worked in uh, pharmaceutical research and development for about 14 years. Uh, and then my family and I decided to kind of move back a little bit better location to being close to other family here in the Midwest and on the East Coast. So we moved back to this area and that's when I saw a job opening within the department and uh, applied for that. So I kind of became a teacher later in my uh, my career. What was your undergraduate major in if it wasn't chemistry? Well, first of all, for the, the first year and a half, I didn't really have a major. I was kind of exploring things. And then I decided to go ahead and um, declare medical technology, which uh, you would know it now as clinical sciences, clinical laboratory sciences. So it was called med tech back then. So I went ahead and, and started taking those classes and had a lot of biology, a lot of chemistry, hadn't done well in chemistry in high school. So I was a little apprehensive in, in getting into that. And I was actually in my last, last well, last year at Northwest, I was going to get ready to go out and do my internship and finish my degree. And one of my professors here, Dr. Ed Farquhar, who I had for quantitative analysis, he, he approached me after I'd finished the class and he said, well, did you ever think about being a chemistry major? And I, I said, no, you know, no, no confidence whatsoever that I could ever major in chemistry. And he said, well, you should think about it. So I did. And uh, I ended up changing my major uh, to chemistry, which actually in retrospect was a, a good decision because um, turns out I faint at the side of blood. And, and so Working as a med tech probably wouldn't have been, you know, <laughs> I really hadn't thought through things a whole lot with that. So, yeah, so I changed my my major to, to chemistry, uh, finished my last year here. I was on the five-year plan. And, High five. Um, Me too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah. It's a common, common ground we found in this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Five-year plan. So in my, in my last year, you know, I was, I guess I thought I would just go out and get a job and, um, I interviewed, uh, I think I told Travis this the other, the other week when he was visiting my chemistry seminar class, I, I had my first interview at Monsanto and it was a complete and utter disaster 
Of course, back then we didn't have really career services to help us prepare for you know, our resume and getting prepared for interviews and all that. So about that time, I had another faculty member, a chemistry professor, Dr. Higginbotham, who said, you know, did you ever think about going to graduate school? And I said, well, no. Well, you should think about it. So I did <laughs> and ended up, um, you know, going to KU to into pharmaceutical chemistry. That way I could be related kind of to the medical field, but I wouldn't have to see a lot of blood and other things that would make me pass out. So yeah, if you're I seeing blood in a pharmacy, something's going seriously wrong. So that's yeah. that's a good plan. <laughs> yeah. So tell us what the study of pharmaceutical chemistry kind of entails. It's kind of a broad area. I specialized in what you would call pre-formulation or, or pharmaceutics. And so that was really very early on. You work with discovery chemists who are synthesizing new potential drug candidates each of those compounds has to be characterized to determine whether it can go forward um, into development. So we would do physical and chemical characterization, make sure they had all the right properties for the compound to be formulated. And then I worked with uh, clinicians. Actually, I worked with, a, you work with a huge team. You work with a lot of people, uh, analytical chemists, discovery chemists, biologists, clinicians, toxicologists. You work with a whole group of people and so then you would, I would work on formulating the drug to be dosed. So it had to be dosed in animal studies first, safety and toxicology studies. And then if it made it through all of that, you'd have to come up with some, a, a way to dose it to humans in the clinic and then go from there. So it was kind of really, I say pre-formulation, but it was on the early side of research and development. And so we looked at a lot of different compounds and characterized those. So did you do that? You said you worked in, in pharmaceuticals for a 14 year span, right? Mm -hmm. Did you, did yep. you do that same, were you in that same span for that whole 14 years? For the majority of time, I, um, so after, after working at, uh, on the East coast for seven years, uh, our family relocated to San Francisco area. And when I, uh, went out there, I actually took the opportunity. I, I had an opportunity to do the same type of work I was doing in my previous job. Uh, and I thought, well, this would be a good time to kind of expand my knowledge and build on that and kind of get into a different area. Um, so the the job that I accepted was a little bit later in the development stage. So still developing formulations for capsules or tablets, extended release dosage forms for clinical studies. But these were phase one, phase two, and phase three clinical studies. So all the time that you're developing the formulation, you're also more involved in the manufacturing side of things and kind of scaling up the quantities mm -hmm. for larger clinical studies. So it was a, a pretty new area for me. Uh, so I did that again for a while, which is great experience because I think the more you can gain in terms of kind of cross-training within a job, the, the better it makes you uh, as a scientist. And so then uh, after doing that for about three years, then there was another opportunity to actually go back and become a director of a pre-formulation group um, within the, a company in the Bay Area. So I kind of took that opportunity um, to, to go back to that and take more of a, a leadership role. Okay. So. This may be the best question I've ever asked on a podcast. You just, you opened it wide up for me. That's a pretty high bar. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> Are you ready? I, maybe. I have a sixth grader who cannot swallow pills. 
Can you explain to me why, why can I not get a chewable antibiotic for my 11 year old non pill swallowing sick kid? (laughs) Well, you've always wanted to know this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so they typically they do, we, you know, you would formulate um, a, a drug is either a solution or a suspension for younger children. And that's typically done. And you, of course, you, the challenge is to make it somewhat tasty. Palatable. So actually, yeah. yes. <laughs> Some of the drugs can be kind of bitter. So, you, you know, there's a, there's a good bit of uh, formulating that goes in to make it acceptable. So an 11-year-old, I, at some point, though, depending on what the dose is, it may be just be that the volume that they would have to administer as a solution or suspension would be prohibitively large to an older child that weighs a bit more in order to get the right dose. So there just may not be an option. That's interesting. I couldn't take pills till high school. So what I did, I sat down one day after school with a a glass of water and a bag of peanut M&Ms and by the end of the bag, I could swallow a handful of them, which has turned out well, because I'm diabetic now and I take 5 million pills a day. So (laughs) It's all worked out, but <laughs> got to detrain that gag reflex. So just practice, just get her lots of peanut M&Ms and lots of water and she'll, they'll figure it out. There are also, and, and by the way, I should tell you that as a, a pharmaceutical chemist, we don't really call them pills. We call them tablets or capsules. Uh, but the other thing that, that um, for some, some tablets, if they're an extended release formulation, like, so you take it just once a day then you can't chew those. So that would, yeah, that would affect the the profile. So um, here's actually what we did, Travis. We did not have the peanut M&M trick. So they were capsules with the powder in them. And I really like making homemade uh, hot cocoa mix and, but I eat it dry. I actually don't make hot cocoa with it. I just eat it dry. So it's delicious and it has a strange texture, but I was able to like open up the capsule and I poured it in and she just ate it with her hot cocoa mix. So, you know, we made it work, but see, there you go. <laughs> there you I'm go. shook, Hannah. I don't, I don't know if I can proceed with the interview, like dry cocoa. Like that's the, you could tell me you chewed on light bulbs and I wouldn't be more shocked than I am now. My goodness. Oh man. Ooh, I, this is what happens that... when you record on Friday, folks. This is a bad <laughs> I know, we promised it would be a good interview and then <laughs> yes. we destroyed but, it. You know, I've, I've heard, you know, Putting it into a little bit of yogurt or something like that. Dry cocoa is a new, that's a new one. But you know what? If it works, there you go. Yeah, if it works, it works. Um, So, okay. So I am also interested in, so you took kind of a leadership role, right? In pharmaceuticals. And then you made the transition to coming back to teach. Mm -hmm. Tell me about like, that transition, I guess. Yeah. Was it hard to be in the classroom? Was it fun? Was it easier? Was it, I mean, what kind of mental transition did you have to make there? It was completely different. So first of all, let me let me also tell you maybe why I came back or why I chose to get into teaching when I was looking, you know, for kind of the next next adventure. The reason I came back was actually because obviously here at Northwest, I had Dr. Farquhar, I had Dr. Higginbotham, and so many other faculty members as well as role models and mentors. And honestly, if they hadn't have made these suggestions to me and kind of given me confidence to go 
into something that, you know, I'd never would have selected on my own, I wouldn't be here. Um, and so I wanted to give that back and have the opportunity, especially after being in the industry for 14 years, I think I had experiences to share and I could come back and help students in their direction uh, that they that they choose. I also come from a long history of teachers. My whole, practically my whole family came to North, went to Northwest. My, my grandma was a teacher. She got her degree from here. My mom, my dad, my two uncles, my aunt, you name it. They were all <laughs> teachers. And originally, you know, I thought I never wanted to go into teaching, but I, I realized that it's really something that I felt I could come back and contribute and be passionate about. So that's how I ended up here. All right. So what was the original question again? Then the actual transition of the actual work, yeah, of teaching. Yeah, the transition part. So I think the hardest transition was not so much the teaching, but managing my expectations about today's students versus because all I what I was pulling from was my experience when I was here back in the 80s and things have changed. When I was a student here, you know, you had, you really didn't have, in chemistry anyway, you, they assigned homework, but it was never graded, right? Your grade was based on four exams and a final, and that was it. And so it was really up to you to do, to be self-motivated, do diligence and do what you're supposed to do in order to prepare for the exams. And so I realized, you know, after being here, getting feedback from students that, I think they expect a bit more now. They want a, some study guides for the exam. We were never given that. Um, they want, you know, some homework to kind of offset their exam grades. So, and the other thing was attendance. Um, so I, I, you know, I didn't take attendance when I first came back and there were a lot of absences. And, and in order to do well in any class, especially chemistry, you got to be there. So, so I had to institute after my first semester or two some some changes. I think to really make sure that the students were completely engaged, not just in class, but you know they were doing the the outside work as well. So once I kind of figured that out, I was pretty good to go. And um, yeah, so I, I used to go to a lot of meetings when I worked in industry. I was obviously active in the lab, but a lot of meetings here. I'm. I've got my office hours, I've got my classes, a meeting here or there. And so it, it was just, my days just looked a lot different than when I was working in industry. And um, yeah, so. I'm interested, you were at Northwest in the 80s. Tell us what was different then here on campus? Any, any major differences from your undergraduate years? Yeah, Hudson Perrin was still the old original buildings. Of course, we didn't have the Center for Innovation, you know, back then. The The biggest thing that I, I noticed when I came back from a chemistry perspective is uh, the year that I started back here in 2009 teaching, they opened up the Center for Innovation and they, you know, had funding to get a lot of really cool instrumentation. The availability of that for our students now compared to when I was a student here is just night and day. I mean, pretty much all of the instruments that I that I used in uh, a research and development laboratory we had here. Um, so, so that was really cool. So that you know that allowed me to build 
the use of those instruments into upper level chemistry courses that that I taught. And so that was neat. So facilities, instrumentation, a lot better. Library is still the same. That was here when I was here. Love the library. We didn't have a Starbucks in it. What else? Oh, I think just the support services, like career services and, you know, the the university seminar that students have now to kind of get their feet uh, when they get to the university. Those types of support services weren't as predominant back then, but we still had great faculty, role models, advisement. So that part hasn't changed, but some of the auxiliary things I think are that you've, that we've built in are, are great. Fun fact, I also, Ed Farquhar's last semester, I think I took one of his last, he was teaching physics in the summer. I took physics from him in the summer, I think my, like the summer after my freshman year. So I also had him as an instructor. Right. He was he was still fantastic all the way up to the end of yeah. his, you know, after he retired. I mean, he's just incredible teacher. So yeah, 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 they were, they were all great teachers. I don't recommend taking physics in the summer. Let me yeah, be clear. that's a little no. rough. That's no. that goes along with the hot cocoa. Like I, I don't recommend that. <laughs> no. uh, the hot cocoa is good, but yeah, that was it can a struggle. Be done. But, it can yeah. be done, but yeah. How hard was it to teach chemistry? You mentioned instrumentation and labs. How hard was it during COVID to adapt mm. those classes to remote learning? I could, I would think that would be like one of the hardest things because they don't have the stuff at home. You know, you can do stuff through Zoom and do demonstrations, but I would bet that's a really hard subject to transition to that. What was that like a few years ago when you had to do that? Holy cow, yeah. That do you was... not want to relive it maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was teaching instrumental that that spring semester, instrumental analysis, and what we were about halfway through the semester, spring break, and then we weren't coming back. What I ended up doing, my husband likes in his spare time, his hobby is photography. Uh, and so... I actually arranged for him to come into the lab with me to videotape. So I would go over to the CI and if it was for the particular experiment that we were doing that week, I would, we would videotape the, the instrument. I'd give him an orientation on, you know, the instrument, its components, you know, what we were doing. They were dry labbing it just by watching me because I would actually carry out the experiment there in lab, and he would videotape me as I used the instrument, gathered the data, uh, and then I would send the data to the students for them to process it and do all the the data workup. So that's kind of how that worked. And it was okay, but I'd, I'd rather not repeat it. Another thing that I'm interested in, maybe not so much related to chemistry, more related to as a director, I imagine, did you have some hiring and firing opportunities, right? To kind of choose your team. Mm -hmm. I'm always interested in like, what were you looking for in an employee? Obviously they had to know something about what the job they were doing, but Mm -hmm. as far as like qualities or characteristics that you think make a good employee and how can someone who's interviewing for a job, this is like a huge question, my bad. I did not do a good (laughs) job of making it concise, but if Someone is interviewing for a job. You mentioned, you know, oh, I had a complete failure my first interview. Mm-hmm. What kind of candidates do you look for, and how can those candidates prepare themselves to present themselves in a in a way that makes them hireable? Honestly, the science and the chemistry—that's the easy part. Sometimes working with people and hiring the right people, and you know, keeping them performing at a, a high level. Sometimes that's the challenging part. So yes, I, I did have 
opportunities to to hire and, and, and unfortunately uh you know we had to fire a few too so not not a fun thing to to do but in terms of hiring so we look at the full we kind of look at the full package right like you mentioned obviously you want someone who's had a solid foundation in chemistry but aside from that you know that person's going to have to be working obviously with others in the lab but also you know they're part of that team that i i mentioned you know the they have to work with chemists biologists toxicologists they have to work with a wide variety of people and be part of a team um, and they have to know what their role is and meet deadlines um, because you know there's always a there's always a project timeline things are moving and you know the next person can't do their part until your part is has been done so so communication is big they need to be able to communicate both through emails but also you know within meetings and present be comfortable presenting their work to others um, they also at least in the pharmaceutical industry a huge part of communicating your work was properly documenting your research in your notebook. And and that could be, I mean, that was important not only because you were going to use that information for regulatory filings, but your, you know, your notebook could be audited uh, within the company or by the Food and Drug Administration as part of a, a drug approval or new drug approval. So, so, you know, communication, both speaking and writing uh, was big. You've got to have some foundation in chemistry, but the likelihood of of all applicants having had experience on every single instrument um, that we worked with or every problem that we encountered was fairly low, right? So you're really looking for someone who can grow in the job, right, and and problem solve and you know get to a point. They may have, obviously have there'll be some initial training, but someone who can go off on their own and, and work independently um, and then report the results back. So, so all of those things are pretty important. So when, and also that was, this was a biggie for me too, even when I got my first job, organizational skills, because you're balancing, you don't just have one project that you're working on. You may have two or three different projects uh, going on at once. And so being able to balance and, and organize your time, time management, all of that was important. So when we would interview candidates, the best way to get a feel for can they do these things is to is to ask them situational questions, right? Tell me about a time when you had to organize your time, right? So so really, you know, students that go into these interviews need to think about um, examples of times, not just say, oh, well, I, you know, I'm hardworking and I am uh, organized, uh, you know, I'm a good time management person. Well, tell us how you, how you do those things. And that gives you a pretty good idea of whether or not you think they can handle the job. Did I answer everything in your question? That was an amazing yeah, answer. That was an amazing oh, answer. I'm amazed I remembered it all. <laughs> And I would think all those things, that class I came to talk to was a chemistry seminar. So students who are graduating yeah. and going to work or to grad school and 
those experiences of hiring and being the person asking the questions, I would think is good prep for preparing people to go out and do that then to tell them, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes the ability to learn is just as important as what you've learned because you can teach things, but I can't teach you how to talk to your coworkers just in an email or keep your stuff Mm -hmm. organized. So I would think those are directly relatable to those kind of seminar classes that we have a lot of on campus now. And I think those are really helpful for students to kind of the last piece of the puzzle before they got to go do it. They've had support, like you mentioned, support stuff's all over campus now, but then those Mm -hmm. seminar classes kind of, hopefully Mm -hmm. they're in there putting the like, okay, this is why we did this. This is why, you know, I had to take a language class because I need to learn how to write. I had to take speech because I have to speak to coworkers. So it all goes together to make me the candidate. You want a well-rounded individual. Absolutely. Yes. Speaking of well-rounded, you're looking at retirement, right? I am. What What is your next project? That's a really good question. I don't know. I'm kind of, you know, I'm one of these people that I kind of like to have a schedule. And so, you know, summers when we're not teaching, I like, you know, the first couple of weeks, I'm okay kind of not having a strict schedule. You're kind of, you know, decompressing after the semester. But after a while, by the end of the summer, I, I want I want that regimen kind of back, my schedule. So... I'm going to have to find something to kind of keep me in a, in a schedule and keep me busy. So I don't know what that'll be yet. My first thing that I'm going to do actually uh, when I retire is I've had, I'm, I'm originally from Iowa and um, I've never ridden Ragbri. Have you ever heard of Ragbri? Yeah. Registers annual great bike ride across Iowa. So it's kind of been a bucket list item. So that's the the last weekend in July. So I think, Everything immediately when I uh, retire here in May, everything will be leading up and training for that. And then once I get past that, I'm not really sure. That's a pretty awesome project, actually. It is. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be an incredible yeah. experience, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. A little nervous, but but yeah, I'll find I'll find something. Career services offers services for life. So when you're looking for that next <laughs> job, we are happy to help. So we help alumni. I don't think too. she's looking so, for a job. That's she's right. Well, for a project. Was, <laughs> a volunteer opportunity, whatever. Well, we can. That's help, true. So. I was actually that was one thing you said at the other the other day in the chemistry seminar class that you, that you offer those services even to alumni once they're they're at. And I did not know that. So I, I, I honestly I those are. Alumni, so. I love those interactions because it's it's really nice to help students when they're here, but it's it's a different kind of interaction when it's professional to professional and it's not it's not as developmental. It really is kind of almost I see it almost as like peer-to-peer help. And maybe that's maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. But I I enjoy those because it's it's a different kind of advice that you're giving to somebody, but it's it's really when you hear that they get something, it's so reward like I don't know, I get the most kind of Yay, out of those moments versus almost anything else is helping somebody find the management job or the next job or this company isn't working out. We're left balance sucks. I got to find something else. Oh, I found it. You know, those are so, those are so awesome. Yeah. So yeah, those are great. I would add to that. Um, that's a, a great point. The difference between the two, when you work with um, undergraduate students, especially a lot of them have part-time work experience and they'll have projects and they'll have things but when you have the opportunity to work with alumni, they are, you know, they've usually worked at least long enough to have like a real sense of what they want to do and what they're good at doing. And so it's a whole different level of kind of marketing someone, right? Um, students are so fresh and new generally that they don't 
they don't quite have a really fixed direction that they want to go in. And so it can be more flexible, but also more broad and, and difficult to to kind of find them a good opportunity. But alums, we love working with alumni. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for bringing that up. We never get a chance to talk about that. We don't talk about it very often, yeah. (laughs) You can come be the career services uh, volunteer. We would love that. (laughs) Sounds good. So do you have any advice or words of wisdom for maybe folks out there who are trying to get into, you know, maybe the sciences or, or teaching or, you know, any, you've had lots of experiences. So any of those, any kind of someone who's been there and been successful, maybe, you know, words of wisdom for the next people coming up. In terms of of science, I think take advantage of opportunities. So especially, you know, students that come here to study science. And this is another thing that we're a lot better at now than when I was a student um, uh, here. And that is we have a ton of students that take advantage of summer internships. And that's great for a couple of reasons. Number one, obviously, it looks good on their resume. Uh, They've got uh, additional lab uh, and research experience and bench experience. So that part's good. For a lot of students, you know, I, I mentioned that, you know, I'd never thought about going to graduate school and kind of like my whole torturous path that I took, I, I hadn't really even given it a ton of thought as to what graduate school would entail. Not, you know, it, it's a it's a long haul to go through to your PhD and research is not for everybody. You've got to be persistent. Things don't always work out as you expect. And so in order to know, do I want to go just get a a position working in a lab or do I want to go on to graduate school or research doing an internship, especially like a, an internship actually in industry and in academia gives you a, a comparison of the two. And, And I think that can really help or has helped a lot of our students, um, in terms of, you know, okay, well, they like science, but where, you know, what direction do they want to go with it? And the good thing is we have, and I think what makes it really easy now are connections through other Bearcats um, that are chemists. So, so, you know, we have students that have done internships at University of Kansas, both in the Department of Chemistry and Pharmaceutical Chemistry at the KU Med Center. Uh, We've had students, we've got currently three former Bearcats that work at the Environmental Protection Agency down in Kansas City. So our, actually, no, make that four, four. So our students, you know, routinely get summer internships in those labs. So that's really my, especially if you're going to go into science, my best advice is to take advantage of those opportunities and try and see, you know, see what you like and see what you don't like. Uh, going forward. And I wish I would have had that opportunity. It worked out okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. That was a oh, great well, conversation. Yeah. And so I'll, I have a whole new appreciation for Coco now. So I'll... <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us will forget that anytime soon. So. <laughs> oh, that's one of those buried gems, buried yeah. deep in the podcast. It's skeletons it's in the closet. Yep, dusty, right. dusty skeletons. So, okay. <laughs> well, that'll do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>